0: You're listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing questions. Attorney Bill Powers sits down with some of today's leading legal minds to discuss everything from legal issues and legislation to practice tips and policy. Now, here's your host, Bill Powers, former president of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice, recipient of the North Carolina State Bar John B. McMillan Distinguished Service Award, and a founding member of the Center for Legal Education and Advocacy.
1: The legal profession, that being pleading the cause of another, has its origins in both Greek and Roman history. The first people in society who might best be called lawyers were likely orators in ancient Greece and Athens. Juris consulti, law consultants, were recognized as a profession of sorts when the Emperor Claudius legalized advocacy, allowing lawyers to practice openly and to charge fees. An educated, skilled, and regulated profession continued to develop during the latter part of the Roman Empire. In Europe, at least Western Europe, after a, decline, after a period of decline during the Dark Ages, the legal profession reemerged during the 12th and 13th centuries. At that time, lawyers were a form of experts on canonical law, or what lawyers often refer to as church law. Canon, by the way, comes from the ancient Greek word kanon, meaning straight measuring rod or a ruler. That was separate and apart from ecclesiastical law, which regulated and governed the Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox churches. Throughout history, one of the operative or key words pertaining to the profession is regulated. There's a reason for that. People place their trust in lawyers. Of course, that's true for any of the traditional learned professions, those being theology, law, and medicine, wherein the preparation for and practice of academic learning is an integral part. The same remains true today in North Carolina. It takes the form of the North Carolina State Bar. The State Bar was created in 1933 by the North Carolina General Assembly. It is a government agency responsible for the regulation of the profession of law in North Carolina. Presently, there are more than 31,000 licensed attorneys in North Carolina, 25,000 or so who reside and practice within North Carolina. Although, to be fair, not all lawyers are engaged in the daily practice of law. Some of the stated objectives of the State Bar include the protection of our justice system and the public. The State Bar is governed by a 61-member council, what we lawyers refer to as the State Bar Council. State Bar councilors are also councilors, but we'll get into that later, I'm sure. That council is elected by lawyers in their home communities. There are also non-lawyer and public interest members on the State Bar Council. Those people are appointed by, I think, the governor of North Carolina and possibly other elected officials. State bar daily duties include things such as promoting the competency of lawyers and paralegals, adopting the code of ethics for lawyers known as the Rules of Professional Conduct or what we say is RPCs, counseling lawyers on how to follow those rules, resolving fee disputes between lawyers and clients, and preventing the practice of law by people who are not licensed. Today on Law Talk, we're joined by Attorney Brian Oten. Mr. Oten is the Director for Ethics and Special Programs at the North Carolina State Bar. He is Chief Ethics Counsel to the State Bar Council. Brian also serves as the Executive Director for the North Carolina State Bar Board of Legal Specialization, which administers 14 legal certification programs in North Carolina. He obtained his Juris Doctorate from the University of North Carolina School of Law and also attended UNC for undergrad, receiving his BA in Political Science. Uh, Brian has also has some background experience in journalism, which I hope he'll maybe talk about a little bit later today. Uh, he began his legal career in 2005 as a law clerk for the Supreme Court of North Carolina, uh, Justice Brady. He thereafter moved in 2006 to clerk for Judge Lacey Thornburg. Uh, for the western district court uh, for the western district of north carolina united states district court for the western district court of north carolina case y'all don't know any better both of those are a big deal brian has substantial experience litigating disciplinary hearings and managing complex grievance matters as deputy counsel for the north carolina state bar he has also served as an adjunct law professor at campbell law school and at chapel hill He's also a frequent guest lecturer at North Carolina State University, teaches a lot of continuing legal education for lawyers in North Carolina. And I think personally, one of the more interesting things about Brian is his wife, who received her PhD doctorate at NC State and is now a professor at State, I think, in forest health and entomology, not etymology, <laughs> but entomology, thats right, uh, which means she studies trees and bugs and likely how those bugs affect trees, which, as you likely understand, is pretty important in the pine state. So Brian, welcome. It's an honor and privilege to have you here today.
2: Bill, thank you for having me. I was looking forward to this
1: conversation. It's truly an honor to have you here. Um, I got to be honest with you, I I do my best to do some background on people. And you were a a tough nut to crack and find (laughs) find your information on. But what I found was really uh, quite impressive. Um, Anything you want to correct or amend or add that I got wrong? No,
2: you got all right, and you hit all the
1: embarrassing stuff. So I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) Well, let's let's kind of jump in this a little bit and, and, and let me ask you what, you, what you do for a living and how did you get there? So, um, well, I, of course, I'm serving uh, as a chief ethics counsel
2: for the state bar. And, uh, you know, I have to say in law school, I did not think that I was going to be in the field of professional responsibility. I took professional responsibility just like every other law student. Thought it was interesting. Uh, but it didn't jump out at me as this is what I want to do. Uh, I wanted to give litigation a try. Um, really I, but I, I, realized that what my, my goal was in law school and just getting into the practice of law was to connect with people. Um, and I had no idea that the opening that appeared at the north carolina state bar in 2007 that i applied to and you know just kind of on a whim uh truly you, know, you talk about that that most interesting part of me uh my wife uh, she was looking to get her doctorate at nc state i was looking to move back from Asheville to raleigh the state bar had an opening um and uh i thought that i was going to be at the bar for just a year or two mm-hmm. uh and then move on to private practice but i found a a way to be involved in the legal profession a way to practice law that was incredibly challenging it was diverse it was very rewarding because of the way that you connect with the individuals whether you're talking about the folks that were filing the complaint Mm -hmm. uh and and the the issues that they were facing or the lawyers who were responding to a complaint Uh, there was you know, I guess I'd almost call it an opportunity to, to bring some calm to the chaos mm-hmm. and see if we can get everybody moved on, including that lawyer who may may actually need a timeout for a little bit, but they can come back from that in a better position to get back out there and serve the
1: the people of the state. Mm-hmm. And for I think we have a fair number of law students that listen, or are uh, maybe younger or um, less seasoned lawyers, probably a better way of saying it. Uh, when you go to law school. Ordinarily, you're looking big picture. I want to be an attorney. Right. And you may have certain ideas of areas you want to go into. And there tend to be tracks. I went to Campbell. And so we had a track where there was civil versus criminal. Some people knew they wanted to do PI law. Some people knew knew they wanted to prosecute for the state. Some people knew they wanted to do family law. You don't really have a track for state bar, fire <laughs> counsel attorney no,
2: don't. <laughs> <laughs> no i i really i i thought that I was going to do criminal law mm-hmm. um, I took I did the criminal clinic at unC and that's where I found out I cannot be a criminal lawyer i I just took it so personally Mm -hmm. uh, and realized that I was holding on to everything about the folks, the kids that I was representing um, and, and just already felt like, oh my goodness, this is not going to be good for me in the future. If I go down this path, Um, what, what, oh, what do I do? Right. Um, Wise (laughs) choice, (laughs) by the way. I've uh,
1: I've been doing this since 92 and there are days I wish I had an answer for that dilemma. Dilemma. Right. Um, So did, you said you wanted to go into litigation. You thought maybe yeah. in criminal defense. And um, do you do you know why you even went to law school? I mean, was that something?
2: Yeah, yeah. I I I go back to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a course I took my senior year uh, that was, if I'm remembering correctly, it was titled. American problems in the law. It was basically a survey course of the Bill of Rights. Mm. Um, And the teacher was just, you know, you're going over this with high school students. So you're going through a very surface level of the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, um, the Second Amendment. Um, Of course, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking of a memory that definitely would not happen today where the the teacher actually brought in firearms, unloaded, Mm. but brought in firearms to the classroom so we could hold them and see, you know, what, what is it to have a firearm? Um, I just remember thinking this is a lot heavier than I thought uh, it would be, but that certainly wouldn't pass today. But it, we, we went over all of those different, uh, kind of core rights. And that just intrigued me. Um, this, this idea that, that the law is, is this kind of societal contract, um, mm-hmm. that, that we're all trying to to find the balance on, you're striving for balance and you know, coming up woefully short in a lot of ways. Uh, but, uh, but, but just this notion that something is supposed to bind us all together, understanding and appreciating the gray areas, um, recognizing the areas for advocacy. Um, and I think that was my first exposure to just the general idea of government uh, you know, in, a, in a kind of more meaningful way and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the idea of law. Um, so it, it, it just kind of stuck with me. I carried that into undergrad. Um, and I took a class on criminal law uh, from a, a lawyer who was uh, was an adjunct professor herself and that's where I think it really kind of became a real thing to me that I wanted to go to law school um, and and you know just kind of started pursuing
1: that path. I think that's um, that is a really neat pathway and and you mentioned I mean we mentioned the intro you being an adjunct a lot of lawyers do that and a type of service you don't tend yes. to make, Right. No offense. You don't make a whole lot of money no. as an adjunct um, or lecturing. And you do it because you believe in the law. You believe yes. in that social contract. You believe in the duty. Uh, I you know, to use the quote, you know, too much is given, much is expected. You, right. You're expected to give back. Right, right, right. And it was it's, it's always just been kind of something that stuck out to
2: me that I benefited from so many individuals who are willing to give their time and their knowledge, and, and just, you know, to respond to a, a curious kid's question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I'm so appreciative of that, and I feel like it is, you know, it is a part of this cycle that, you know, I want to get out there. I'd love to get uh, to get into the adjunct uh, position and uh, very happy that I've been doing that for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the chance to, you know, whether we're talking about mentoring individuals or just talking one on one with a, a student who's thinking about law school and give them my thoughts. Um, I, I guess I'm one of those. I hope it's not terribly rare, uh, but, but one of those folks that would go back and do it all over again. You know, I hear so many times people say, I wish I could have gone to something other than law school. I tell people, go go to go to dentistry school, go, mm-hmm. go just go to HVAC school. Um, I'd do law school again. I mm-hmm. loved it,
1: um, and uh, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I think you're in the minority. If I know. I read, <laughs> if I've read, read the statistics, <laughs> right? Um, and I don't say that to dissuade anybody or discourage anyone. I do say it to encourage people to think carefully right. about yes. the decision. It is a major decision now, um, given the cost. Right. Um, some of these law students are pumping out the equivalent of a house. Right. In educational costs, um, uh, Chapel Hill was at one time—I don't know—is uh, still the case—was one of the most affordable in the in the, in the country. Right. Both undergraduate and law school. Uh, I graduated NC State. Uh, almost went to Carolina, um, yeah. but uh, I think my first tuition bill, I, I found it not that long ago, was under $400 for, wow. us, for a semester, not yeah. to include housing or anything. Yeah. so. Um, well, and I'll add, you know,
2: just kind of my, my experience. I remember when I was choosing, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm originally from the suburbs of Chicago, mm-hmm. and I'm choosing where to go. And um, somebody had told me, oh, you got to check out UNC. I was just talking about, you know, what I wanted in the college uh, experience. And a um, uh, kid from my high school was from North Carolina, and he was saying, oh, check out UNC, check out Duke. Duke was out of the question because it was too expensive. But at the time, UNC. Uh, for an out-of-state student, cost the same as attending the University of Illinois as an in-state student, right? And so suddenly it became a, a kind of a, an idea um, that was that was more realistic. Um, not to mention, I have to say, I'm I'm a sucker for advertising, and since what 1984, before every Chicago Bulls game, I kept on hearing from North Carolina, yeah. <laughs> and just right. that's where Jordan went. I didn't know much about the school, um, you know, until I I applied and. And, and you know was fortunate enough to get in and uh, made the big jump, moved fourteen hours away, and you know I'm very, it truly I'm, I'm lucky to say that I'm still
1: here. You think uh, see yourself ever being a professor full time? I mean, you, you seem to have a passion for teaching.
2: I do enjoy teaching. In fact, that's what I was um, I was going to do before I got into law school. Mm-hmm. I I, um, I was waitlisted at Carolina. Uh, and, uh, and you know, things just hadn't worked out with the applications. I don't know if this damages my credibility, but mm-hmm. I got rejected from a lot of schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went back home, and I was set up to start teaching uh, at, the, at the high school that I attended, um, ready to coach freshman football. I think I was supposed to show up the next day to hand out equipment. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from Carolina saying, come on back. You've been admitted off the wait list. And so I dropped everything and, and ran back to Chapel Hill. Um, so yeah, teaching has always been a thing that that I've been interested in and I like doing it. And that's where I love the adjunct position because I get to teach, but I get to also bring a perspective of, you know, what I do from my day to day. And, uh, and offer a little bit something, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of something else um, to these students in, in terms of you know how the rules actually apply, what sort of calls that I get these days, what cases I've prosecuted before in terms of ethical
1: mm-hmm. uh, charges. So um, yeah, I, I I do think about it. Not yet, at least. Right. I would love to teach full time. Unfortunately, we don't have the same ability here in Charlotte right. to teach adjunct. Um, if you live in Raleigh, Chapel Hill, Durham, it's not. It's a drive. It's not as bad. Sure. Um, you know, I've done a guest lecture here and there, but it's right. a, it's a, it's a <laughs> right. bit of a haul. Yeah. At least the yeah. back was when Raleigh was in, or uh, Campbell was still in Bowie's Creek. Yeah. So um, I think it's, I described you earlier, as we were prepping for this a little bit, as you're a um, rainbow-colored unicorn because <laughs> you have some really, really, really unique um, things that you bring to the experience table. It, it, it blows me away. Um, but you know, going to Chapel Hills and both on the grand law schools is impressive. Passing the state bar is impressive. If sure. you, anyone's sat for the bar exam, you right, <laughs> that <right>. nail biter. <laughs> I don't care how good a student you are, you always right. wonder. Yep. And, uh, I think out of law school, you started up with the Supreme court. Was that a straight? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and y'all, in case y'all know that it's a big deal to get selected as a clerk, uh, for either of our appellate courts. They're, they're very prestigious jobs there. That, uh, best of the best, they tend to be the best and brightest students. Never met one that wasn't. And um, tell me about that at Supreme Court. I mean, I've I've have friends that have worked at both, and and you get to right. know some of the justices. Um, but as a, you know, coming out of law school, first job, yeah, you know, I mean, that must have been really a, a, a I don't know, learning to drink from a fire hose, man.
2: Yeah, no, and, and it was, but it was great as your first job because it was in some ways. I'm not going to say an extension of law school, but it felt familiar mm-hmm. because what I'm what I'm provided with is, you know, a petition. Somebody's you know filed a petition for discretionary review or cert petition, whatever it is, and my job is to fully brief the thing. You know, to go look and see. Well, what is the law? Is the law as the uh, the appellant says it is, and, and things of that nature. Um, so there was there was that research, that writing, um, learning from different clerks, learning from the justices, seeing their work habits, seeing what works for them and, and you know, different writing styles. So it just was a, a good chance to to bring some of your own skills, hone your skills, um, particularly in the area of research and writing. Um, and of course, then you get to argument day, you know, mm-hmm. and you get to go in there and watch these arguments take place. You see these seasoned lawyers, you see these seasoned lawyers whose names you recognize go up to the podium and when they first start you hear the little quiver in their voice, Mm -hmm. and and it it gives you (laughs) some comfort that, Oh my goodness! This person who I've I've heard of—they're mm-hmm. <laughs> they are human, uh, and and even they're nervous, and uh, and and that's okay. You know, it was just it's those little things, um, and seeing just the, the deliberation, having the discussions. You know, clerk with Justice Brady, who um, who who brought a different perspective, I think, than a lot of the other justices there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, a very kind of common sense, practical perspective, um, and just really enjoyed my
1: time there. It was uh, it was it was a great first job. I'm an opinion reader. I every year I commit to try to read every opinion. I I don't get to every one, but I I do look at certain days in a week when the court of appeals opinions come out, and times in a month maybe. Um, And I've always wondered how they do this aspect of having a bifurcated process, or maybe Mm. maybe someone say schizophrenic, where (laughs) uh, as a justice and as a clerk for a justice, you're not just focusing on. Rule 702 expert witness testimony, you could be switching from that to in-race something Mm -hmm. with a juvenile uh, matter or um, abuse, neglect, dependency, or next as a contract dispute, or then a something, you know, the version is as a will. I mean, North Carolina courts, we still litigate these issues. We still have, as one of the 13 colonies, we still have land disputes. Mm -hmm. What was that like? I mean, switching back and forth.
2: You know, and that was, it, it kind of emphasized the, um, the gravity of the job, mm-hmm. you know, that that what I was working on, I think, you know, at some point I remember working on an opinion and thinking this opinion is going to be the law of the state and mm-hmm. and folks in law school might study this opinion. Oh, dear God, Mm -hmm. Uh, what what am I doing here? Um, you know, that imposter syndrome just sets in. Right. But, um, but you know, again, it's that, it's that thing of, you know, being sure that, that you are capturing everything. Um, sure. There's, there's a lot of times that I would go through something, maybe second guess myself, and that would make me go back to the, go back to the books. Um, and I do like the physical mm. books uh, better than so the lexus uh, but uh, but yeah, you know. But then also being able to rely upon um, not just your co clerk, but the other justice because they would circulate an opinion and and you would get some feedback on the opinion. Go, gosh, you know, I, I hadn't thought about that. Um, and and it felt like really an iron sharpening iron situation. Mm. Um, and and again, as a as a, a freshly uh, licensed attorney, somebody who was who was just out of law school, it was nice to see that really kind of collegial environment, mm-hmm. making things better.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, it was a good thing. I got to tell you, as someone who has created bad case law, <laughs> uh, the only fear of not getting the opinion right was losing, uh, the right. opinion. So i have been there. I'm with you on the books. I still, um, get, uh, the hard or the hard bomb books. They're yeah. so They're, they're, they're actually paperback style now, but yes, um, we used to yeah. get the old inserts and everything. Yeah, yeah. And I was in Iredale Court in, in um, Statesville, oh gosh, about a month ago. And they have the old law library. A lot of yeah. courthouses still don't, don't have it. And they have original, they have the originals. So wow. they have they have North Carolina reports, or oh, excuse me, North great. Carolina Supreme Court reporter number one. And I was in there in the library and someone came and said, what are you reading? I said, have you ever looked at any of these? Yeah. Opinions are amazing to read. Yes. Some ways entirely foreign and in some ways uh, the same issues that we deal with today. the right. same The same struggles and burdens of being human are, Absolutely. Are, are addressed in that. So, okay, so you did the Supreme Court and I, I guess... I mean, I I guess it was individual justice would decide, like, hey, write this opinion or go Mm -hmm. with the direction of that. I mean, uh, but there's a lot of research and writing. Were you able to help write some opinions? Yeah. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was able to contribute to, um, to different opinions. Whether I was assigned a, a particular. Full opinion or mm. just a section? Um, you know, sometimes there was kind of a kind of a, a team approach um, between a couple of justices. You know, after they determine what their votes are going to be and so forth. But it was, um, it was, it was. You know, just a again that opportunity to to start drafting and as you write these words on paper and realizing eventually that that opinion mm. <laughs> that you you put the words into is now a part of the uh, a part of the case law in North Carolina was just kind of a in some ways it felt kind of crazy because you know i i'm just a first-year lawyer Mm -hmm. um i'm not qualified for this but again you also know that i guess it's kind of affirming in some ways because you're you know that these words are getting passed off by uh these these legal minds that have a lot of experience and have a lot of credibility and if they say that yes this looks good you can trust that
1: it looks good Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it it's was more than just pure curium. Mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, there was, there was, there was definitely some debate. <laughs> so let's kind of your next job, you transition to still law, still learned academia. Right. Um, right. In, my, in my mind, um, Western district 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 court, of yes. United States of America. Um, maybe we can break that down a little bit, explain to people that we have a, uh, yeah, uh, a system of justice in North Carolina that is state courts and federal courts. Right. And you shifted essentially from the state court program where mm-hmm. you're analyzing state court law kind of general statutes North kind of precedents, things like that. Right. And switching to something similar, similar, but, but different, totally different in some <laughs> yeah. ways. And yeah.
2: You know, you go from a state appellate court to suddenly the federal trial court. Um, and that, uh, that was a shift that, you know, I would to say once I was in law school and I'm, as much as I'm trying to figure out what area of law I want to go into, clerking jumped out at me as something that I just wanted to see on my resume. And particularly I wanted to do a federal district court. Mm-hmm. I thought the federal district court, it felt like the, the sweet spot of the clerking gig where you get to see trial work, you know, this high level trial work Mm -hmm. um, complex issues but you also do handle some stuff you know when you have a united states magistrate that issues a a report and recommendation maybe they actually issue an opinion a decision and it gets appealed to the district court but you get to see a little bit more of the kind of the i guess i'd say the sophisticated but ground level uh sort of litigation that's going on in the federal system and i just i really i wanted that position very badly um and i was again very fortunate to to get an opportunity um, very different, different set of law. Of course, there are some state issues that that came mm-hmm. through, um, but uh, that's where I I got to see a number of just fantastic lawyers uh, that uh, came through. I remember there was a um, a case with uh, a Asheville attorney Sean Devro um, mm-hmm. who uh, who did just a fantastic job. I remember just feeling captivated by. Uh, by By his presentation, his demeanor with the jury and 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 all of that I mean it was just one of those great learning moments. There was another trial there was a civil trial where we had we had to go out to Bryson City. They used to have mm-hmm. the federal court out there oh, yeah. and um and uh forrest Farrell judge Forrest Farrell was going up against gray wilson uh uh you know two two lawyers who eventually were on the state bar council when I moved over to the state mm-hmm. bar. I saw both of them. And, uh, you know, uh, eventually ran into them and they kind of all looked at me like, you were that kid that was sitting up Mm -hmm. at the front Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) of that trial. Um, But, you know, seeing that that level of of lawyering um, in those very difficult issues was truly I mean, you talk about that learning experience. I I loved my time with the district court Um, and uh, and learn from from Judge Thornburg was fantastic. Um, And, you know, it was a combination of his perspective you know i remember having a case i forget exactly what it was i think it was a like a a trademark or if some intellectual property case and uh i thought i had the law nailed down on it and wanted to and suggested that that he rule a particular way and he asked me this question you know essentially kind of well what happens if i rule this way not so much you know who wins and who loses Mm -hmm. but what's the impact what happens to i think it dealt with something with uh um, with, with house designs or something that somebody basically infringed on someone's uh, copyright uh, designs. And, and it was um, – and he starts asking, all right, so you know, if we tell these folks they've infringed the copyright and they need to tear these houses down, what happens to the contractors and the subcontractors that have already started building this stuff? Uh, what happens to kind of the ripple effect mm-hmm. of this decision and realize that in that way – I had not considered that and my decision would have been disastrous for a number of people even though I thought legally it might have been correct so he crafted a different resolution still articulating the law but what's the impact of it and that was that was such a moment that I still remember of just you know my goodness I'm not considering everything right. um, and we all everything that we do every opinion just a conversation that we have on the street that day. There's a ripple effect, mm-hmm. and uh, and I kind of took that with me um, the rest of the time. Uh, and I also have to add with with Judge Thornburg, we were in the middle of a trial one time, and he he called for a, a recess and looked over at me. I was sitting at the clerk's table, and he kind of just waves me over and you know, to come back in chambers. I didn't know what what was going on. If you want me to research something, I just step back in and say, you know, yes, sir. What what, what can I do for you? And he goes, Did you get a chance to see the Carolina Duke game last night? I said, mm-hmm. Yes, I did. And it was one where, you know, Carolina won, they beat Duke at Duke and uh I think J J. Redick had been playing and he, he he cried or whatever afterwards and he said, I was just so tickled to see J. J. Reddick cry and then <laughs> and then he walked right back out and went back on the bench and it was, that's all he wanted to do. And I just thought this is fantastic. I love this right. job. Uh, but those are, so sometimes when you think it looks all serious, it's just a judge wanting to talk about basketball.
1: Right, and di- well, it, there's a difference between the Supreme Court of North Carolina where you're doing straight appellate issues. The case has already been tried. Yes. It's already been appealed in most instances, the vast majority of instances, it's already been appealed a little bit and litigated normally the court of appeals. Yes, are, yeah. Um, a few exceptions, I'm sure. Uh, but federal district court is a district court trial. Yes. And, y'all, it's for students. It's I mean, there's a reason we say don't make a federal case of it. I mean, it's, <laughs> right. if it's a federal case, it's a big deal. And there are different steps. There are magistrate judges that handle a lot of matters mm-hmm. in district court. And Western District, North Carolina, is huge. Yes. It is huge. It goes from Charlotte mm-hmm. out to basically Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yep. Uh, it covers, uh, you know, a lot of territory all the way out to, to, uh, Cherokee, Murphy, North Carolina, that, that whole district. So, so you lived in Asheville and I lived in Asheville that year. Yeah. I I stayed in Asheville and, uh, that was, a you know,
2: another great uh, experience just being out in Asheville. I've, uh, always looked back at that. That's where I, that's where I met my entomologist wife or who who Mm -hmm. would eventually become my wife. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it's, there's a very special place in my heart for Asheville. Right. Did y'all hold court
1: in the other uh, districts at all? Yeah,
2: or? well, just just Asheville uh, and Bryson City; mm-hmm. those were the two places that we went. Um, I never had to go down to Charlotte um, or Statesville or anything like that. We didn't mm-hmm. uh, we didn't uh, move around there, but just those two courts, um, which was which was also an interesting experience, just seeing the um, the almost kind of like the jury pool from Asheville oh, versus yeah. Bryson City. I mean, I know it's it's still pulled from. Uh, from, from the, the, the district in general, but, but just seeing how things were done in Asheville and then in Bryson city, it just kind of had a different sort of feel. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was, it was great. Hmm. So
1: you did that for what? That was for one year, one year. Yeah. And then is that when you worked, went with the state bar? Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, that's when the, there was an opening at the state bar. Um, and, uh, I, I applied, um, I was looking at private practice, Mm -hmm. but, um, there is I don't know, I guess that's one of those things that I I've always been kind of more inclined towards a a government job because I see it perhaps naively um, <laughs> as as working for the collective good, for the common good, working for the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and private practice was one of those things that, you know, I, I thought maybe I could give a try here or there, but this would be, you know, just kind of the stepping stone. Get back to Raleigh. Get some experience. Um, I could tell in the interview process that I was going to get some, some trial experience pretty quickly uh, and thought that'd be a good thing, And uh, but like I said, I never intended it to become a
1: career. Right. Let's talk about a state bar a little bit because I, you wear several different hats, and um, I don't think a lot of lawyers really understand it's state bar councillor uh, sure. versus councillor. <laughs> right. See, um, So the counsel versus cellor. In court, they regularly call us counselor, meaning right. you know, the advocate. Counselor is um, is different, and our yeah. state bar is like we said. It's it, and I want you to correct me on any of this, but sure. I, and it's part of my learning curve. But basically, you have some full time staff mm-hmm. that yes. are employed uh, technically as a type of state employee, right? And there are a certain number of lawyers on that staff. How many are there? I think right now we have a total of 17 lawyers on staff. Okay. Okay. And then you have support staff and operate an office and you're based in Raleigh. That's correct. Then you basically help administer and provide legal advice to the 60-some-odd state bar counselors. That's right. right. Yeah. Who work on different levels of committees, tend to be the big two are um, grievance and ethics. And ethics right? That's right. Yep. And so ethics has to do with, I guess, the promulgation of laws, the amendments of, of rules, of professional conduct. Right. Excuse me. Um, um, I, I, I even say the, uh, the ethics committee is focused on
2: establishing mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of determining what should the standard be. Grievance is looking at enforcing that standard. Right.
1: Right. right. Which are both similar, but different types right. of perspectives. Yes. And, um, uh, and then there are subcommittees and things like that. Like you're, you chair the uh, uh, specialization, which is has expanded and right, yeah. That's that uh, we have we have the, the board of
2: legal specialization. The state bar has a number of different boards and really their resources for um, for the profession. You talked about the the IOLTA board, uh, interest on right. lawyer trust account, um, and how those IOLTA funds. Uh, the, the interest earned on attorney trust accounts are supposed to be distributed to the different uh, legal aid organizations. We've got the Board of Legal Specialization, we've got the Board of Paralegal Certification, the Lawyer Assistance Program Board, you know, things of that nature. There's a client security fund is another one. There's a variety of boards and, and, and just kind of entities that are affiliated with the state bar. Um, and I serve as the director for
1: specialization as well as paralegal certification. Right. So are, you'd want to write like writes the test or assist in writing? No, I don't have to write the test. Okay. I, that's,
2: that's, we leave that to our subject matter experts. So the, um, the, the specialist uh, program is um, it's really the largest volunteer effort that mm-hmm. we have uh, at the state bar. There are 14 different specialties. Each one of those specialties has a specialty committee and that committee consists of anywhere between seven and nine members but that committee is what is is kind of the our our subject matter experts for that topic they will draft the exam amend the exam as needed Um, they will uh, vet the initial certification applications as well as recertification Um, because once you get certified you have to recertify every five years Mm -hmm. so um, and then we have the board that basically takes all of those recommendations from the different specialty committees and you know kind of gives it one last review and and puts their seal of approval on uh on their recommendations if they agree with them um, which most times they do but um but yeah the the board kind of oversees the whole program but the specialty committees kind of get the grunt work done Mm -hmm. um and and i serve in a capacity along with some other members on the staff to really facilitate everything to make sure that it all is working and of course I'll serve as an advisory uh, or in an advisory function uh, if anybody has any sort of issues, unique things that we want to make sure we are compliant with our administrative rules as well as other considerations
1: uh, with the certification process. Right, so the, the members of the certification, the, your experts, they're not necessarily state bar counselors. Correct. Right? That's are correct. People that I don't know how y'all select that, but
2: yeah, they're they're people that express interest. Usually, they're, they're all certified as specialists in that particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but they are folks that are, I mean, really, you talk about folks that are volunteering their time, mm-hmm. um, they're volunteering their expertise, their knowledge, um, experience, uh, for nothing but you know i guess to have their name listed on a specialty committee i think they i in my interaction with them they are genuinely interested in carrying out the purpose of the program, which is to identify for the public those individuals that have demonstrated that proficiency. That's the, the purpose of even having the specialization program. Um, and, you know, it's not that lawyers are required to become specialists. Mm-hmm. Lawyers can stand on their own and, and have their reputation stand for themselves. But there are, um, you know, I guess some opportunities where some folks will go, I don't even know where to begin. And that was
1: the idea with creating the specialization program back in the 80s. Right. And specializations, y'all, could be things like... State bar certified specialist in criminal law, state right. law, or federal law, or yes. both, or family law. Um, because the areas of law have become, in my experience, you don't see the, as many general practitioners as I you think that's right. yeah. Maybe in some of the smaller towns. I kind of mm-hmm. miss that time period. Yeah, because, um, yeah. I, I think it, a lot of lawyers, I we, we do domestic and criminal defense, and doing both practice areas have helped me with the other, meaning yes. you see a much broader perspective.
2: Right. Right. And I, and we've noticed that too with, like you said, the, the smaller areas you have, some general practitioners, really some folks that may want to, and would certainly qualify. They, they have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. for especially certification but especially certification in addition to demonstrating that that knowledge it's also a dedication to that practice area that you're devoting at least 25 percent of your practice Mm -hmm. to that area and some the folks in the smaller communities simply cannot guarantee that from year to year because they're taking i think one person described it as feline law whatever the cat drags in
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's that's a great way i mean and and If you're a younger practitioner, sometimes you know, people <laughs> knock on the door and say, "Do you do wills?" And uh, yes, do you do right, screen tickets? Right. Yes, do you do divorces? Yes. Do right. uh, can you help me probate my estate? Yes. So, um, so let's talk, let's talk about ethics a little bit because um, yeah. um, that is a committee that, and I, I just recently was appointed as an advisory. Uh, tell me if I'm saying the term right. Advisory member. That's correct. Uh, and, I'm um, not a state bar counselor. Um, but I'm really, really impressed at, and I said this to you at the last meeting about the level and uh, that of preparation and knowledge and not just of the fellow counselors in the room, but you as, as legal counsel to it. The I've worked with some larger organizations, lawyer groups and right. things like that. and. Going into one of those meetings, it was my head was swimming a little bit um, <laughs> with the level of complexity. I mean, tell me, yeah. tell me about your work. What, what do you? Let's talk about ethics and break it down. I, yeah. I, I want you to kind of explain what how you view it from your side. Yeah,
2: so it's um, you know, it is it's uh, some thick material um but you know we have we have an ethics process at the state bar where for one anybody who's listening who's a lawyer out there if you ever find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do with a particular ethical issue Mm -hmm. a client comes in and you don't know do i really have a conflict with this person or you know you're you're in the middle of a trial and you get the sense that your client's about to take the stand and lie and you don't know if you're allowed to put that person on the on the stand when you know they're gonna lie give us a call because mm-hmm. we, we have three folks on staff, myself uh, and uh, two other assistant uh, uh, ethics counsel, Nicole McLaughlin and Suzanne Lever, who will answer calls, will respond to emails, we will uh, try to, to help you pick the right pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a way that we protect the public by stepping alongside you, you know to hopefully get you in the right direction. Um, and a lot of times, frankly, I take calls where you know maybe the answer is apparent, but you just want to talk it out that's okay, too, mm-hmm. um, because sometimes we just need to talk about the issue. But we will get all of these calls in, and, and that's kind of our, our day-to-day. But from those calls, uh, we will sometimes get a, re- a specific request for a formal ethics opinion where somebody says, you know, I appreciate your, your advice here, but I'd like to see that in writing. We may also see that you know, a particular question is presented to us, and you know, lo and behold, we start talking, and there's been five other calls on that topic over the course of the past two weeks. We realize there is an opportunity to educate and to to offer some guidance here. So that's what kind of spurns those formal ethics opinions. Um, and we go to the ethics committee. The ethics committee, like you said, is one of the the two large committees of the state Bar council, uh, the other being grievance. and and this ethics committee, Engages in this high-level discussion of what do the rules say? What's the purpose of the rules? You know, are we really protecting against the harm? If we come out with a particular conclusion, are we are we protecting against the harm that the rule was designed to address? Um, and and to really kind of determine, you know, if if we are, is this the right way to do it? Is it too broad? Is it too narrow? Is this really helpful to lawyers? And maybe even. Is the rule in need of some sort of updating? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's a, just an older rule that hasn't been touched for thirty years, and it's time to reimagine re, uh, that. So it it can go in in all different ways, all different directions. Um, and I think that's part of uh, I feel like part of our job as staff and my job um, to uh, to advise folks of you know kind of what the what the the room looks like. You know, what do other jurisdictions uh, say on this particular topic? What are the different possibilities in, in drawing a conclusion, and what could the ripple effect be mm-hmm. uh, again of uh, of a particular decision? So yeah, it can it can go in all different ways. But I, I will always say that you know your impression um, was spot on with uh, just kind of the the level of discussion and and the thoughtfulness that folks bring to the table. You've got folks that are taking away from their practice. You know they're they're coming to Raleigh to sit around a table and talk about really nerdy issues, but at the same time, and I say that kind of jokingly, um, but they're important issues. Mm -hmm. You know, they are important to the profession. They're important to the public. And I always challenge folks. If, you know, if some people kind of, you know, hear some of the conversation, especially those on the grievance committee, they'll hear about some of the debate that goes on and think, Oh goodness, you guys are, are trying to just, you know, talk about things. You're trying to decide how many angels dance on the head of a pin. Mm -hmm. Um, but I dare folks to not have an opinion uh, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, we're all lawyers. We all chose this profession and we do have opinions and and that's the thoughtfulness that I always appreciate um, coming from that committee. It's, it is not a rubber stamp committee. Mm -mm. Um, Folks uh, will disagree with staff and I love that Mm -hmm. frankly uh, because it means that everybody's actively participating.
1: Right. Well, and I can be honest with you. When I, when I was in law school and we took, people don't know this, you take an ethics uh, test before you take the bar exam. I right. forget what it's called. The MPRE. Yeah, MPRE. Yes. MPRE. Uh, what does that stand for? I don't even know the acronym. Multi-state professional responsibility exam. Right. And so it's the law in no state, basically. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, there were some issues that are just so basic and so out there. And you, as a law student, thought, oh, this isn't hard at all. And as I think sometimes less seasoned lawyers Will go to court and not even realize you're picking up the tail end of a cobra. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Just yesterday, during an administrative proceeding in court, I said, time out. I just, I had the spider sense. Yeah. And I said, timeout, stop. And the judge was like, what? And I said, I need to talk with the other parties in the back for a minute. And I said, mm. are we doing this right? Are we following everything? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, I, n- I know it sounds silly. But I just wanted to make sure. Mm. And that's one of those things that, um, golly, I I wish I'd studied harder. I, you know, we're required to keep studying these things. And, you sure. we all have, we have continuing education required to go to. I don't know if people realize how incredibly complex these issues are. Yeah. And this is coming from someone who has done this for a long time and been to a lot of seminars. And then right. I went to the ethics committee and I went, oh, my goodness. It was like total blew my head open when I started reading um, a lot of materials you put together. I mean, I have a three-ring yeah. binder. I printed out my materials, by the way, for the <laughs> right. committee. Everybody thought I was such a dork, but no. I have a highlighter, and I print it out. And I, right. And you do – you look at things like, well, Michigan does this, or Illinois does this, or mm-hmm. the American Bar Association recommends this. And it's it's heady stuff, single-space mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So. I mean, I guess you like that. I guess you kind of get into that. Yeah,
2: you know, it's, it is it is one of those things that sometimes it feels like a daunting task. Just like right. any, any case that you take on, you're looking at where do I need to go? There's a lot that needs to happen between here and there, mm-hmm. but I just got to dive in. Because once you're in, especially, you know, I'm thinking of those ethics opinions that we draft. I mean, I just need to kind of zone in and you know, educate myself on the issue, look at everything as fully as I can, but then my own personal style is that i just kind of have to close the door you know shut everything off and just start writing mm-hmm. and, and see what what comes out mm-hmm. um and in that way it's very engaging uh, you you see so many different things
1: like you're saying you've been you've been practicing for was over 30 years um, I'm, I'm about to finish my 30th year okay so i graduated in 19 i got licensed in 1992 so whenever Right. Whenever I got life. Yeah. yeah. So it's coming up on 30. Right. So. And and you're seeing things that, you know,
2: that, oh, gosh, you know, I thought about it that way, especially when you get all these different perspectives from across the state where where folks practice differently over in Murphy than they do in Manio, you know. <laughs> and, right. Uh, right. And, and, and so it's there's there's that balance that we're trying to draw. But it's um, but I think that's where that's where it's been very, um, I guess, like I said, diverse and engaging because everything is new. I mean, I was prosecuting these claims of ethical misconduct. From two thousand and seven until two thousand eighteen, um, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've been been doing the ethics thing for a long time. Um, I guess just the past four years now. Uh, but it was it was a focus on you know just what claims of misconduct came in, and some of the things were really piddly, and other things you're looking at the alleged misconduct, and you're looking at the evidence of this misconduct, and thinking these are some of the the dumbest smart people I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't believe that a lawyer would actually do this. Um, from the ethics perspective it's a different sort of focus on folks that are proactively trying to get ethics advice but then ultimately determining you know what is the rule supposed to say mm-hmm. you know and what are we trying to protect the public against and, and all that and those questions become it really it was more challenging I think if if anything the the disciplinary process felt a little more linear to me mm-hmm. um, because it's just kind of all right here's the complaint what can I prove done. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like this is just kind of a an amorphous blob that I'm I'm trying to <laughs> that I'm trying to figure out um, of, of where does it go? What's the conclusion? And and you, I, there's there's
1: just a lot of factors. There are <laughs> and and I'm gonna tell you, the Bart. When I say the Bart, I'm speaking corporately. I mean sure. We change our minds. Yes. I mean, and, and, <laughs> and reasonable minds can and do differ. Yes. Uh, that's one thing where I you, you'll see something, you'll see a proposed rule. I didn't realize the process, how it worked. Um, and then people will comment on it, and you're like, oh. Right. Well, based on a comment, we need to think about this some more. And right. Maybe it right. passes, maybe it doesn't, maybe. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and, that's, and that's what, you know, we have this, this publication process that I've been trying to get out there when I'm doing CLEs and encouraging folks you know that that we all have a role to play in this idea of self-regulation and it is a Mm -hmm. privilege to be Mm self-regulating but if we we don't actively participate in it then that privilege gets threatened and so and and just kind of making sure that everybody knows that the state bar process is not inaccessible um you know when we publish these things we really want to hear from folks because Mm -hmm. it makes it better we will get comments on an opinion that will shift the opinion. It will turn it 180. I mean, you had you saw at this past meeting, we had a number of comments on one particular opinion we published last year that resulted in the ethics committee withdrawing the inquiry entirely mm-hmm. because we realized, you know, this isn't something that we need to address. We don't need to go down this road. And particularly with the conclusion we reached, we reached the wrong conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as, you know, I don't know, I, I don't feel any sort of personal pride of, oh, I I supported that initial that initial conclusion, I love that we were informed by those out there. Hey, you didn't think about it clearly Mm -hmm. enough, or you didn't consider this because I just learned something and it just, I don't know. I I find that that engagement with other members of the profession to be so incredibly valuable
1: and exciting. Right. Well, I, I don't know if everyone would get into that. I mean, I guess, um, Day in, day out practice is, I think it's very challenging. But these are issues in my mind that we see every day. Never realized it. Um, Maybe I'm just getting enough gray hair in me or I'm like, (laughs) golly. So what's it like being married to an entomologist? An right? entomologist.
2: You know, um, well, I'll say this. I'd I never expected to have hissing cockroaches in my house. Oh, Lord. Um, that's, uh, yeah, she is passionate about insects. Um, you know, when we first started dating, I remembered uh, going over to her apartment and opening the freezer, and I saw frozen insects in there. Um, did not expect that. Got a little freaked out. Wasn't sure if I should... Tuck tail and run, uh, or uh, or ask the question, what's going on here? Now, she, what she was doing was uh, killing the bugs uh, in that way, so instead of squashing them, so she could eventually spread them out and pin them for her insect collection, which she uses for acad- or uh, educational purposes. Um, you know, but so yes, we have these insect displays, which I have to say, I also am now appreciative of just how. Unique and intricate insects are, um, but that that led to uh, just kind of uh, I don't know a unique sort of marriage and, and partnership. We are in completely different fields, uh, but uh,
1: it's it's a really good thing. I know that wasn't a very clean segue, but I'm going to tell you I, I, <laughs> there was a purpose behind it because I think part of what makes people better attorneys are the people that we that support us and surround us yeah. in our relationships. Um, I know some lawyers that are married to other attorneys, but not a lot. Yeah, um, but uh, having a completely different, yeah, uh, desperate type of desperate type <laughs> right. of job is, um, uh, uh, I think, must be interesting. And that that subject just interests me. Might well, be. yeah,
2: and you know, and I, I have to say that's that's one of those things I feel um, very much like the the not cool part of the relationship because you know my day to day job is sitting at a desk writing ethics opinions answering calls and you know which is an engaging thing i love it uh but uh but but she's out hopping logs with a chainsaw right. um, you know right. and and taking a <laughs> taking a kayak down the river looking for invasive species she'll send me pictures of this is my view this is my office for the day um and you can imagine when i um, when she comes with me to uh, uh to the uh the state bar dinners then she's a bit of a hit because everybody's got an insect question, right? Uh, so they, they all find, Oh, there's Kelly. It's time to go talk to her. And you know, <laughs> I saw this picture. I, I took this picture of a bug that was on this plant. What is this? And of course, you know, that's kind of the impressive thing. She always has an
1: answer. Well, and it's, um, it is, an it, it my, I, I helped my daughter with some of her, or learn some of her materials and help get right. you know, like a study partner and, uh, I couldn't believe how much materials they had to know oh, gosh, just about yeah. a different, you know, how many, not just how many legs were on whatever species, but what yeah. type of trees do they affect? And yes. it goes from a hardwood to a pine to hardwood to, yeah. it's like, oh my god! See, that's it, the
2: stuff that, that gives me anxiety, frankly. <laughs> when, when she starts talking about how this little tiny insect that came over from Asia because, right. you know, somebody ordered such and such piece of furniture uh, and it just kind of, you know hopped a ride and then, and now the, the impact that it has in devastating trees that are not used to that thing. Right? Uh, it's it's right. just,
1: oh uh, yeah, that's, the that's, lantern that's a lantern moth. Right. That's, yeah, yeah, that's that's not my field. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um, and I, and I, you've been so gracious with time we've gone over substantially, but I, I do want to thank you so much. And I hope oh, we absolutely. can uh, do this in the future again. Uh, if anyone has topics of conversation, questions, uh, would like to be a guest on Law Talk. Um, you can contact me at Law Talk with Bill Powers at gmail.com. Um, also give you a telephone number at my main office, uh, 704-342-4357, 704-342-4357. If you need to reach uh, Mr. Oaten at North Carolina State Bar, I think you can do that pretty easily. As a warning, the State Bar is not the same thing as the Bar Association. Yes, thank you for saying that. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I figured I'd give a plug for that. And um, is it NC... What's your website? Our website is ncbar.gov. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bill. uh, Thanks for listeners um, to Law Talk.
0: You've been listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for legal issues and legislation, practice tips, professionalism, and policy discussions. Want to talk to Bill Powers? Call 704-342-HELP. That's 704-342-4357. Law Talk with Bill Powers is an educational resource only. The information presented does not constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Every situation is unique. Therefore, you should always consult with a licensed attorney before making any legal decision.